Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some people around who can uh, let you borrow a Bible today. If you don't own one, you're welcome to keep that. We want people to, uh, to have a Bible and to be able to use it and, uh, as, we dig, as we dig into the Scriptures here today. At the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross... Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to uh, get started at verse 11 as we continue our series in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. What's the first word altogether? Now, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you always want to ask yourself, what's it therefore? Well, it's therefore a reason. In other words, a therefore is a joining term that is referring to, in light of what was said, therefore I have something to say. So what was said prior to this? Let's real quickly read through it. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, which we studied last week, verse 1. And you were dead to the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work within the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And man, the bad news is, is as we saw last week, that everyone at starts at the foot of the cross, unfortunately, as sinners. I don't like saying that. But I can't cut that out of the Bible. And you were dead. And you were dead spiritually before God because of sin. Boy, bummer. Ah, but verse 4. What's the first two words? But God. Oh, yeah. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. And you were dead. But praise God for God. And Jesus Christ came. God in the flesh died on the cross and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And has made the provision of the forgiveness of sins by faith, by grace through faith. Do you have a story of a time in your life where you have come to a place To where you have received the gift that God offers. The payment of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Not just for the golden ticket to heaven. But as verses 1 through 3 as we studied last week. I was walking this way in death. 
But God provided a way for me then to walk this way for him. Is there a time in your life where you've come to know Christ as your Savior? Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. So let's get at it. Therefore, in light of all of this, Paul continues under the inspiration of God to be writing to us additionally. Therefore, do what? What's the next word? Therefore, remember. Now, this word is what's called a present active uh, indicative. It means it's a, it's continuous. It's it's a word that has that has actually it's an imperative, so it has an emphasis. In other words, therefore, you must remember, and you must remember continually, continually. What? Therefore, you must remember that at one time you Gentiles. Okay, you Gentiles. Like, what in the world's going on here? Sounds like we're throwing around names here. What is all this about? Well. You see the little flag there on the world map? That flag is the flag of Israel. Uh, in the day of Paul, there were kind of two big classifications. One was there were people that were called Jews. Those were people that were born and raised in, or in a, born out of Israel. They were from that area. That was their homeland. That was their background. Those were the Jews. Then everybody else that was alive was the Gentiles. Okay, in some ways we don't quite get this uh, today because we're kind of one big world. But back then you had these two classifications. And Paul is writing at this point, in the first ten verses, Paul is talking about salvation in general. And now he's narrowing in. Remember, he's writing to people living in Ephesus and Asia Minor. These are mostly Gentiles that he's writing to. And so he's directing, therefore, you Gentiles, you could reorder the sentence, you continue to remember that at one time, you, you what? You were in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, what is made by the flesh of hands. Okay, like what in the world's all this about? Well, for simplicity's sake, let me kind of put it this way. There were two categories of people. The Jews would call themselves the circumcised. God in the Old Testament had made a covenant with Israel. In Amos 3.2, God says, You Israelites only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. God had chosen Israel to become a priest, if you will, for the nation. It was never to be just about Israel. It was to be about the whole world. But God's original plan in the Old Testament was he was going to raise up a nation of priests from that area who then would minister to the rest of the world. And God had established a covenant with Israel, and that covenant was kind of sealed. In other words, the sign of that covenant was circumcision. Now, why like that, Doug? Let me just put it this way. You know, when we go to heaven, we can figure that out. Ask God. Okay, because I will say this, in some ways it's like, what? Right? Are you with me? Or are you just too uncomfortable to be with me on that one? Hey, uh, let me just say this. God had set that up. And so, in other words, the Jews would use these terms. In fact, the way the word, the way the sentence is structured is talking, say, the Jews used these terms. There was the circumcision, the Israelites, and then there was the uncircumcision. Those are the people who are out there. There are Hoosiers and there are Boilermakers. You know, it's kind of that kind of classification of term that was used that common in that day. And which team you're for, you just put, call it whichever one you want to direct it to. 
But it was used as a classification. Now, understand this. God's plan for Israel as being a priest of the world, of the circumcision who would then have an impact upon the world for God's glory, began in essence, we're given a great blessing, a great privilege, and lost sight of what God had placed before them. And in fact, the whole blessing of God, the call of God upon them, actually ended up becoming an arrogance issue. I mean, this ended up becoming a very braggadocious thing by the Israelites. As you look at the Old Testament, you just see that taking place. And let me just give you a couple examples of what of the hatred between the, the, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. The, the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, it was recorded that back in those days, uh, one of the statements that was recorded back then was is Gentiles would say, Jews were created by God to fuel the fires of hell. Now, do you get a little bit of a feel that they did not like them? Can I also say something very interesting? I'm not going there, but isn't it interesting today that we almost hear talk very similar to that kind of talk today about Israel? But then listen to what was happening. In the day, the Jews made it themselves, made it unlawful to render help to a Gentile mother in labor. Because if you helped a Gentile mother in labor, you were helping to bring a Gentile into the world. And that was a bad thing. When a Jew entered Palestine, he would shake the dust off his sandals and clothing to not contaminate the holy land with Gentile dust. Most Jews would go around Samaria so they didn't have to travel in it. When I was growing up, grew up outside of Columbus, Ohio for kind of my elementary school years, we used to go to the Ohio State Games a lot, and Woody Hayes, back in the Woody Hayes days, Woody Hayes hated Michigan so much that when they would go play the Ohio State-Michigan game, Woody would usually, Woody, we were buddies, uh, Woody Hayes, he would usually have the Ohio State team stay on this on the south side of the Ohio border because he didn't want to pay money to Michigan for when they would play the games. He hated them in the rivalry, and that was kind of somewhat similar. But get this, if a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or in reverse, a funeral was held for that Jewish boy or girl. And that does not stop today. In fact, my brother in college had a, a Jewish a man who came to Christ, and his parents held a funeral for him. So that happens. Hey, I just want to, as a side note, believers in Jesus Christ, be very careful. Because God had given Israel a great blessing to be priests, to impact the world for him. And they got cocky about it. They got selfish about it. They perverted what he, Christ, God had given to them. And we can't do the same thing. At the foot of the cross, everyone stands as a sinner. Only by the blood and by the grace of God. Be humble. Let's stay humble. Because God didn't save us because we're so great. God made the provision of salvation so that we can receive him as our Savior because we're in desperate need even though we don't deserve it. Big God. Listen, there were massive barriers in the day. There were barriers between Jews and Gentiles. And there were barriers between God and mankind because of the barrier, the dividing wall of sin. And that was the case. Therefore, remember that 
that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul loves these people enough to help them remember what they were without Christ. Listen to the list, five things. They were without a relationship with Christ. Gentiles worshipped the goddess Diana and other false items. They were religious, but they were without Jesus Christ. They were without a relationship with Christ. They were without citizenship. Israel had a, a we'll call it a citizenship with God that, is not, that was not true of the Gentile nation. They didn't have that relationship uh, uh, structured. Without covenants, God didn't make covenants with Gentile nations. Fourthly, they were without hope. They're worshiping dead gods and trusting in false cults. Interesting. Uh, historians tell that it, it was written back then uh, it found a, a statement that at that time it was uh, if you would open a newspaper at that time one of the headlines would be saying in the ancient world there's a cloud of hopelessness that covered the world at that time isn't that interesting back at that time when a few centuries later people would write about the centuries before and just say there was like a cloud of hopelessness and that's what Paul uh, points to they were without god it wasn't that the ancients had no god they had plenty of gods in fact someone recorded about in, in athens it is easier to find a god than a man in athens i mean they had no problem of gods the problem was is that they were all small g gods and they were not living gods hey uh side note the whole concept that all religions lead to the same God is shot apart right here. Because these people in those days were committed to believing in all kinds of religiousness. And today we talk about it that doesn't matter. All roads lead to God. That's not what the scriptures say, I wish that was true on the one side of me, but that's not what the scriptures say. By Christ and Christ alone. And Paul's us, Paul reminds us that there was alienation. Just this whole thing that back in the time, remember, continuously remember. It's interesting. Verse 11 is the only verse in the Bible that I know of that refers to the fact of remembering the past of what you were. Now, Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about remembering the, or forgetting the past. And any kind of reference that I know of that refers to the past isn't to dwell on the past. But here, this one is think about the past in light of what has come out in the future today. In other words, look back to what was for the purpose of keying in on today and what God has done. Don't look back and dwell on the past and dwell on the past and dwell on the past. But remember the past because you will remember what God has done. 
And there was alienation. He highlights this fact, alienation from God because of sin and alienation from all kinds of relationships. But let me just bring out the reality of the hope here because it doesn't end there. There was an alienation, but there is reconciliation. Yippee skippy. There's reconciliation. Uh, Let's pick up here as to what I'm talking about. Verse 13. But now... Now, if you remember in verse 4, again, Paul follows kind of the same format of what he had done in verses 1 through 10. He tells that we were sinners dead to God, and then he tells the hope that is, and then we're to get at it and live for Christ. And here again, he brings out in the first couple of verses, reminds us in 11 and 12, reminds us of the fact that we were alienated from God and that but now. But now, in other words, there's some good news. God has intervened, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's in Christ Jesus. He is the position. He is the worker of the reconciliation. The reconciled. What does reconciled mean? It means to bring together. It's the restoration of a broken relationship. And it's by the blood of Christ. Are reconciled only through Christ's work on the cross. Sin is the alienator. Christ is the reconciler. Verse 14. What does this brought near reconciliation look like, Doug? Well, let's take a look. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Three things are characterized here, reconciliation. First, peace. By the way, it's peace in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not peace in the fact of acute philosophy or a nice thought or science or anything. Peace in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's in there it says he himself. It's an emphatic. In other words, what Paul is writing, he wants to make sure that we get this. Listen, he himself is the reconciler. Not the concept of Jesus being a good guy or some kind of nice prophet. That's not what it's talking about. It's he himself is what's being referred to. Reconciliation is characterized by peace. Secondly, reconciliation is characterized by oneness. It talks here about the Jew and the Gentile brought together. God and the sinner are brought together. It uses the term and have become one. Peace and oneness. And thirdly, characterized by the removal of the dividing barrier. Uh, Let me bring up this picture. Uh, or did we? Cool. There we go. Thank you very much. Okay, at the picture, if you were here in the Mark series, we had used this picture to talk about just various things that were taking place in the life of Christ. Now, if you look here at this picture, you'll see this is a, a kind of a, a depiction of what ancient Israel, Jerusalem, used to look like. This big part here is the is the temple area. The green area there was the was kind of the outer court. Gentiles could go, you and I, we could go and walk around and be in that area. Now, if you are out in that area, see then this purple area that comes inside, that's where the Jews could go in there, but Gentiles could not. Then you go further up, and there's the Holy of Holies, and that's where the priest would go. In other words, the temple structure was set up with dividing walls all around it. And part of that was to be able to help people understand the reality uh, that there is a God that can only be approached in a certain way. 
And there are dividing walls. And when a Gentile was on the outside of the parameter here, and actually, you can't really tell from this, but at the wall, they would have to look up to that area. And so you've got all these dividing walls that are around there. You've got people who are looking up at all this. That's what's taking place. And there's an inscription on the temple that said, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. In other words, that pink area in the Holy of Holies. No No foreigner, no Gentile could enter there. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. And here Paul writes about how the dividing wall has been destroyed through Christ. An interesting thing. Acts chapter 21. um, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem by an angry Jewish mob uh, because they had thought he had taken a Gentile into the temple area. Paul knew about this. And people knew about this. Um, And oh, on top of that, this Gentile that Paul, they thought, had tried to take inside the temple area, he was from Ephesus. And here Paul is writing to the Ephesians, reminding them that the dividing wall has been broken down. Well, how did Christ reconcile, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments and the ordinances? In other words, the Old Testament processes, all the law, all the structure that had taken place back then has been renewed or, or, or taken out. It has been replaced It has been abolished to render inoperative. Uh, Why did this reconciliation work? For what purpose? Let's keep going. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Do you just get the idea that God is really like all about just getting rid of this whole hostility thing going on? Just by his grace. He's allowed that to have happen. He created one new man to make peace. He killed the hostility. Verses 17 and 18. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have, been, we have access in one spirit to the Father. A, a God of love wants to reconcile the sinner to himself. A God of love wants to reconcile the sinner to himself. But, God, but a God of holiness must see to it that sin is judged. Yes, God loves, but God is also holy. And God must judge. He must. It's the only fair thing to do. And God solved the problem by sending his son to be a sacrifice by, for our sins and revealing his love and yet meeting his holy requirement. And Christ has come to do that. So I was defined by alienation. I was reconciled through Christ. And lastly, I was unified as a result of it. Let's finish out here. And then uh, we got some people who are going to symbolize exactly what we're talking about. Verse 19. So then. Why was I reconciled? For what result? Well, look. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Isn't that interesting? Earlier it said we were separated, alienated, and strangers. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, it's interesting. Built on the foundation and Christ being the cornerstone. A cornerstone in that day, uh, I, don't, this isn't, I don't think this is talking about the capstone, the capstone that some say that it is, that is on the top. I think this is talking about the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the part of the building that they set the foundation or the whole building gets started. Back in those days, the, there were cornerstones as large as 570 tons. Now, we have buildings today, and a lot of times, like on our house, we have a little brick that has our address on it. That's not what this is talking about. It's not a cutesy memorial thing. In other words, this is a massive something different than the rest of the foundation. It's the starting point. All the lines are drawn off of the cornerstone. Everything comes off of that, out, up, around. The cornerstone is the key setting part of the entire facility. And here it's referring, that's Jesus Christ and the foundation of the apostles. They're teaching and what is taking place, the apostles and the prophets. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. No longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens, members of God's household. A temple in progress for God to dwell by his Holy Spirit. Hmm. Last week, if you were here, we referred to this area over here in the building in an illustration as kind of the, uh, what do, actually, do you remember what I called it? Yeah, the pit of despair. Thank you, because I forgot. And the pit of despair, this was chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and really bad stuff took place over in this area. And then I was referring to how over on this side, in essence, just for image, there was the aspect of but God, and we can be able to be pulled out of the pit of despair and to be able to place in God's household. And listen, going from there to here is a really good thing. But here's the deal. The scriptures say, as many as received him, to them that he gave the right to become the children of God. 1 John 5, 11-13 says this, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's not this. Jesus died, and everybody in the pit of despair instantly was removed from there. I wish that was the case. But here's the deal. God made the provision, and God has said this. The provision is made. Have you received him as your Savior? In other words, as a sinner, have I raised my hand before God and said, God, I am a sinner separated from you and alienated from you, and I want to be reconciled back with you. God, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and live for you. And by the way, think of it. If I've gone from that, and now I've been given this, and all this cool God, and then I'm over here behaving like that, what's with that? I just want to tell you, this is the kind of thing to where what we're doing right now is we're trying to, in our small groups and here as a church, we're trying to understand more and more what it is to live in here. And one, have you come to a place where you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? And two, 
After that, are you living for him? That's what God designed to take place. Not to get arrogant, not to be proud, not to pat myself on the back. I'm going to heaven and that's it. No, no. This is an opportunity to live for Jesus Christ and rock out for God in life. Alienated and then unified. By the way, we become part of God's household. Part of God's household means that there are other people living here. And in our culture today, we're seeing more and more Christianity to where it's like, I want to be a TV Christian. In other words, I stay at home and I watch, and then I'm re- but I'm really not a part of anything that's going on. I'm not involved with people. I just want to tell you, that was not God's design. God's design was that I have been saved by grace through faith so that I could be God's child and live for him and be part of his body and part of his people. And I just want to say, I'm so grateful for this church of people who are seeking to live life together and live life in a way where we're helping and encouraging and challenging and being unified together as a body of believers who are seeking to live life for real. None of the arrogancy, none of the aren't I great, none of the I'm so religious, just the, you know what, I'm remembering a sinner saved by grace through faith. And I get to live for him. Boy, there could be a really cool way to picture that. And uh, in fact, I think we should do that today. We have five individuals that, um, five individuals, I'm, I'm getting ready here as we get going. Five individuals who have come to a place in their life where they've received Christ as their Savior. All of them have different stories and different backgrounds. And in other words, it's kind of the thing of, uh, you know, there was a point in time where they knew of God, they knew about God, and then they want to come to a place to where, as they're growing in Christ, they want to be able to display the reality of that. The scriptures say in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want for us to understand this. What's taking place here with these five is not about earning salvation. Baptism has nothing to do with the reality of getting salvation. The scriptures talk about how baptism is an external sign of what already has taken place in the life of that person. And in fact, when you go back in the times of Jesus and the times of, uh, of Paul in those days, it was an agricultural community. And the rivers and the streams and so forth were a main centering, a main gathering area in the town. And it was common that people would go and get baptized. But I don't know if you know this, but baptism is not just a Christian thing. In fact, there were literally other uh, cults who would baptize people. It was a symbolic representation out in the community that a person was saying, you know what, I just want everyone to know who's here and who happens to be seeing me, that I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior by grace through faith. And I just want to do something that's kind of special to symbolize what God has done. We have five people who want to do that today. They've not been baptized and uh, want to do it. Isn't this cool? And by the way, here's what's going to happen. When this takes place... um, They are symbolizing the reality of once having been alienated from God and then coming to a place in their life where the truth has come into them and it's like, you know what? I need Christ as my Savior to be reconciled. And they're unified. This is just a chance for them 
to be able to display for us their commitment to be able to walk with Christ. And uh, how cool. How very cool. This is the very first time we've had a baptism here, and I'm looking forward to a whole lot more happening. Now, uh, last thing is this. The Bible doesn't talk in baptism. The Bible talks about immersion. The only kind of mode of baptism you see in the, in the Bible is that of immersion. You, really, you don't see anything about sprinkling. You don't see anything about baptizing of babies. You don't see any of that in the Scripture. You can't find it. It's not there. Uh, but you see baptism by immersion. But I just want to clarify this. It doesn't say which way. And uh, we're kind of in a unique situation to where uh, we have a horse trough. And uh, I brought the horse trough home after I got it at the... Uh, Go figure, farm store. And we got this horse trough at the farm store, and so we filled it up. And uh, a couple of evenings ago, I went out in the driveway in the dark of night. Um, and Karen watched me practice baptizing myself to figure out how we could do this. Um, <laughs> and uh, when I was baptized, I was baptized backwards. But here we're going to baptize forwards. You want to know why? Because there's not enough room. And by the way, that's not the issue, is it? This is, this is about the external reality of what's already taken place in the lives of these individuals. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, have Andrew Chop. And Andrew, I'm actually going to, because I think I'm not going to be jumping in here.